If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12 this morning. This teaches us why we as believers ought to continue in Christ's completeness. See, before we come to Christ, our life is marked by vanity and by emptiness. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us all about this. It teaches us that all of our toil, all of our pleasure, all of our thinking, all of our wisdom, and everything that you and I will ever do or ever experience under the sun apart from knowing and fearing and following God is vanity and a striving after wind. Perhaps that is some of you here today. You find yourself sitting here this morning and in your heart of hearts, you know this is true. It's the thought that keeps gnawing away at the edge of your mind. What am I doing here? Does my life have a purpose? What am I even living for? But that's a terrible thought, so what do you do? Most of the time, well, you fill your life with all these pleasures and pursuits, these hobbies and distractions, so you don't have to think about it. But deep down, you cannot escape the haunting realization that you are empty, and your life is empty. Listen to me. You cannot escape the emptiness within by anything found in you or in this world. Emptiness cannot fill emptiness. The writer of Ecclesiastes tried this and failed. Scripture teaches us that all the customs that are put forward by this world to add purpose and direction and fulfillment are vanity. Jeremiah 10 verse 3. The Scriptures say that the confidences trusted in this world are emptiness. Job 15.31 And Scripture tells us that the desires pursued by this world are nothing more than Feeding on ashes. Isaiah 44, verse 20. You cannot escape the emptiness within by anything found within this world. But you can escape this emptiness by someone who came from the outside in. Who came from outside this world. Someone outside who came into this world to save you from that life of eternal vanity and emptiness. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Him and commit your life to His saving sovereignty, Scripture says that you are brought out of vanity and emptiness and you are called according to His purpose. And instead of being destined for a life that doesn't even matter, that is eternal emptiness, you are destined instead to a life of God Himself faithfully fulfilling a good and eternal and loving purpose in your life. As Paul has already taught in these first two chapters, because you have, by God's grace, received Christ Jesus as Lord, you have now been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all of your sins, and you have been reconciled to God and adopted as His child into His family. In short, you who were utter emptiness are made full in Christ Jesus. But if we are not careful, the emptiness of the world can start to creep back into our lives. As Paul warned back in verse 8, 
Empty talkers can seek to capture us with their empty philosophy and their vain deceit and lies and seek to drain us of the experience and enjoyment of the fullness that we have in Jesus. And so Paul calls on us in these verses in Colossians 2 to continue in Christ's completeness. To not come to Christ and move on to better things, but to realize that everything is found in Christ and to continue in Him. To live a life attached to Christ and to think thoughts according to Christ. That is what we've been seeing over the last two weeks. That all of us as individuals must have our lives, our loves, our thoughts, our joys, our very identities wrapped up in Jesus and knowing Him more. What else are you living for if not that? We ought to ground our lives and root our lives in Jesus. Why? Paul is going to show us in verses 9-15, through which we'll start to look at today. Why should we continue in Christ's completeness? First, we're going to see because Christ is God's fullness in body. That's in verse 9. Second, because Christ is God's fullness in believers. That's in verse 10-15. through So why should we live a life attached to Christ specifically? Why should we live a life that thinks thoughts according to Christ specifically? It's because Christ is God's fullness in body and Christ is God's fullness in believers. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15 for context. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks these words to us today. Therefore... Verse 6, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 9, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. This is the Word of God, which is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these eternal truths that we have just read this morning. Thank You for how they show us the glory of Christ. We simply ask that by Your Spirit this morning, You would illuminate our minds and our hearts to these truths that we might behold the glory of Christ 
and be changed from one degree of glory into another. Father, I pray that as a result of this message, when we are reminded of where real change comes from, that we would not listen to Satan's lies and look to find change anywhere else. Help us to trust in the powerful transformation that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the first reasons why we ought to live a life attached to Christ and think thoughts according to Him is because Christ is, Paul mentions here, God's fullness in body. Christ is fully God in bodily form. That is who Jesus is. Paul writes, in Him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. This is why you ought to attach yourself to Christ. This is why you ought to think thoughts according to Christ. This is why you ought to root your identity in Jesus and turn to Christ above all for life and strength and joy and peace. It's because in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you want, ladies and gentlemen, if if you're here this morning and you want everything that God has to give, Look no further than Jesus. He is everything God has to give. See, one of the lies that Satan was propagating among the Colossian church back then, and he is propagating still today, is the lie that there are many ways to God and many ways to receive His blessings. Right? As a pastor, you see this all the day. People that will want to come into counseling, living in outright sin, and they want to get married. Why? So that they can be blessed by God. Blessing doesn't come through marriage. Blessing comes through Christ. These counselors, these counselees that come in looking for something wanting to be blessed by God and yet abandoning Him who is the gift from God, Jesus Christ. Do you recognize this morning, every single one of you, that apart from Christ you will never be blessed? Apart from Christ you are under God's wrath. Apart from Christ you will be separated from God forever in a place of eternal torment called hell. The doorway to all of God's blessings are found in Christ. There is not an ounce of blessing found outside of Him. But the lie that Satan was propagating back then and still is today is the lie that there are many ways to God and many ways to God's blessings. You can come to God through Jesus, yes. But you can also find God in Muhammad, in Buddha, in pursuing social causes, in voting right politically, why, you can find God everywhere, in everyone. Jesus is not the way. He's just one way among many. And the fullness of God is not found in just one person. The fullness of God comes to us through all these different people and all these different perspectives. Let's not be so arrogant as to say that there is only one God and only one way to Him. Well, God makes it abundantly clear here, no, no. All the fullness of God resides 
fully in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is not one option among many. He is the only option. The only God in human flesh. As Colossians 1.19 taught us earlier when we were going through chapter 1, in Him the whole fullness of God was pleased to dwell Hebrews 1.3, He is the exact imprint of the divine nature. What does God look like? Look at Jesus. He is God. Jesus is God in human flesh in all of His fullness. Jesus is full deity dwelling bodily. And by the way, that's why the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Really, if you've never thought about it. You cannot understand the life events of Jesus of Nazareth apart from this. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus because he kept on claiming and demonstrating that he was no mere man. He was God in human flesh. And that is why those who claim today that Jesus was just a good moral teacher have not obviously never read the Gospels, which are, by the way, the earliest records of Jesus Christ's life. All written within 70 years of his life. Read the record. Jesus of Nazareth forgave sins. He stilled storms, healed lepers, opened deaf ears, gave sight to the blind, raised dead to life, predicted the future, and lived such a morally perfect and upright life that even his enemies could not find one single accusation they could raise against him. As the 19th century Reformed theologian Philip Schaff once wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of a school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he sent more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. And you say he's just a man. He is no just mere man. He is God in human flesh. Let's not have this foolishness. That he was simply a good teacher. He did not give you that option. For this good teacher said that he was God. And you must wrestle with that. That is why you should live your life attached to Jesus Christ. That is why you should think thoughts according to him. Because you're not attaching your life to some mere man. And you're not simply thinking thoughts that are human thoughts. When you attach yourself to Christ and think your thoughts after Him, you are attaching yourself to the God of this universe and receiving from Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who else would you want to draw life and wisdom from? He has the words of eternal life. Jesus is everything God is. Jesus is everything God has. Christ is God's fullness in body. And as such, Christ is, verse 10 and following, God's fullness in believers. Christ's fullness in believers. That's in verse 10 where Paul writes, and you, notice, let's get the context, 
Verse 9, in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you get the connection? If Christ is everything God is and everything God has, then when you have Jesus, you have everything God has to give you. You lack nothing. You need nothing. You have everything in Jesus. Paul says here, you have been filled in Him. Notice, He doesn't say you're being filled or you will be filled. He says you have been filled in Him. Past tense. You were made full, believer. You were made spiritually complete the moment you trusted in Jesus. Not the moment you later thought you spoke in tongues. Not the moment you later read a certain book. Not the moment you later attended this Christian concert. Or saw this vision in the clouds, or whatever you might think of as revolutionary. You were made complete, full, lacking in nothing. The moment your life became attached to Him who is the fullness of God. You are right now filled in Christ if you have trusted in Him. All the wisdom and power and grace and insight and strength that you could ever need to live a life that fully pleases God has already been given to you in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, believer. As John 1.16 says, For from His fullness we have all received grace on grace, like piled on. Every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3 says, is ours in Christ Jesus. You see the implication this has for everything else that Paul is teaching. Therefore, there is no need, nor is there reason for seeking help, salvation, fulfillment, or spiritual freedom anywhere else other than in the resources of Christ. Do you believe that? You believed Christ was all you needed for salvation. Do you believe that Christ is all you need for life and godliness? He is all of God, and if you've trusted in Him, He is all yours. So you don't need philosophy. You don't need your horoscope and astrology. You don't need Jewish myths and numerology. You don't need mystical experiences and angelology. Or written excerpts in sociology. You don't need any other ology except theology, believer. If you want to please God with your emotions, don't you? If you want to please God with your thoughts, don't you? If you want to please God with your actions, with your entire being, with your entire life, then all you need is to come to know Jesus Christ by faith and get to know Him more. For He is the head of all rule and authority, as Paul says here. In other words, the buck stops with Him, right? Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final answer. Jesus is the final authority. You don't need to turn to anyone else. It's kind of like when I was a kid and I wanted something. And I'd walk up to my dad and he'd give me an answer I didn't want. And then I'd try to go over to my mom or try to figure out something else. And my dad would say, 
No, you already heard my answer, right? You don't need to seek an answer from anyone else. Listen to me. It's exactly what we need to do with Jesus. You don't need to turn anyone else. He's the final word, final answer, final authority. So when people come up to you, believer, and say things like this, oh man, we need to call for the power of Christ and angelic hosts for spiritual freedom and fulfillment in this situation. You need to ask them, why? Christ is the head of all angelic powers, as Ephesians 1, 20-21 says. I'm completing Him. When people say, well, we need to follow Christ and the Jewish law for freedom and fulfill them, ask them this, why? Christ is the fulfillment of the law, Matthew 5, 17. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, Luke 6, verse 5, and He is the end, the consummation of the law, Romans 10, verse 4. I'm completing Him. I don't know what you're talking about. When people say, well, we need to listen to Christ's words and these private words and revelations for freedom and fulfillment in our spiritual walk with God, you need to ask them why. Because the spirit of revelation and prophecy is the spirit of Christ, according to Revelations 19, verse 10. I'm completing Him. I don't know what you're looking for. When people say we need to seek Christ and manifestations of the Spirit for freedom and fulfillment, you need to ask them why. The Spirit bears witness of Christ, John 15, 26. I am complete in Him. I don't know what you're looking for. Oh, believer, do you see? You do not need to turn to angels, to law-keeping, to mystical experiences, or to the Holy Spirit manifestations. You are complete in Christ who is the fullness of God and you are filled in Him. You will not progress in your Christian walk till you come to a firm confidence of that fact. And so as a believer, I can say with all glory and relief this morning before you today, my search for righteousness and acceptance before God is over. My search for truth and purpose is over. I can testify this morning before you all that my search for joy and peace, for power, for victory, for freedom, for, 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 for fulfillment is over. But my pursuit of Christ has only just begun. Of living life attached to Him and of thinking thoughts according to Him. For in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all heavenly storehouses. And my whole life is now marked by one single solitary purpose that I might know Him. Philippians 3.10 For me to live is Christ because Christ is my life as Paul will say later in Colossians 3 verse 4. Can you say that this morning? Could you say, you know what? My life is marked up by one thing. My life is Christ. I've been filled in Him. To what degree? Paul's going to outline the degree of that fullness over the next five verses. Here in verse 10, Paul has taught us that we are complete in Christ. Well, now in verses 11 through 15, he's going to show us how we are complete in Him. In Christ, we have been spiritually filled. And Paul gives us three glorious examples of how we have been filled in Christ. First, your salvation has been fully achieved. Second, your debt has been fully paid. And third, your victory has been fully won. So let's take a look at this. And in fact, we'll just make it through the first one today. First in Christ, your salvation has been fully achieved. Christ 
won the victory for the transformation of your life the moment you trusted in Him. Your salvation has been fully achieved. This is in verses 11 through 12. In these verses, Paul starts to correct an aspect of the heresy that was starting to spread among the Colossians. And that heresy was the heresy of legalism. The heresy of legalism. See, false teachers in the church were saying, you know, it's all fine and good to believe in Jesus Christ, but that's really just the beginning, right? If you're really going to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ and pleasing to Him, then you need to be circumcised. You need to have this physical surgery, and you need to observe this outward, external ceremony to really get devoted to God and really follow Him the way you ought to. Well, God replies through Paul here, no, you don't. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've already been circumcised. That's Paul's argument here. You say, really? Yeah. Paul describes this spiritual circumcision in verses 11 through 12 by reminding us first of how in Christ your old nature has been removed. Your old nature, believer, this morning has been removed from you. If we look at verse 11. Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Paul says, using Old Testament circumcision as an illustration, you were circumcised, you were made fit for the kingdom and the people of God, not by a physical surgery. You were made fit for the people and kingdom of God by a spiritual surgery. A circumcision, Paul says here, made without hands. See, when you, by grace through faith, were placed into Jesus Christ, you were made instantly fit for the kingdom of God. Not through any work of man, but through a direct act of God. As Paul teaches over in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. In other words, when the Old Testament talked about about circumcision, it was making a point. It was to be a physical expression of something that had taken place inwardly and spiritually. Because Paul says this in verse 29, but a Jew is one inwardly. And a circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. You see, even for a Jew, there was no eternal blessings apart from faith in God's saving sovereignty. Even for a Jew, no blessing outside of the person of God. You were made fit for the kingdom of God, not by anything that you ever do outwardly. You were made fit for the kingdom of God by what God does for you inwardly. As Titus 3 verse 5 states, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he saves us. We have been made fit for God and for his, or fit by God for his kingdom, not by having a piece of our flesh removed. But Paul says, by rather having removed the body of the flesh. This is something huge that took place. In other words, when we were placed into Christ by faith, Jesus cut off from us our entire old, earthly, fleshly nature that was dominated and enslaved to sin's power. This is the spiritual surgery Christ performed. And that is the true spiritual surgery that Old Testament circumcision was only a picture of. Your old nature, the one dominated by sin, was removed and destroyed the very instant you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't take my word for it. Colossians 3.9 will say later, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In other words, your old nature is destroyed, so don't live like you still have it. 
Again, Galatians 5, verse 24, Paul writes, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you can't say when you sin, Oh, that was my old man. You know, that was it. Right? I'm really struggling with him today. It's a tense battle. No. If you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're truly saved, your old man, your old nature, that old person, that old Zachary Dudenhofer that was dominated and controlled and enslaved to sin, it was put off, it was crucified, it is dead, buried, and six feet under. Contrary to what you might think, being a believer is not a spiritual schizophrenic. It's not walking around having two natures, an old man on one shoulder and a new man on the other, and who are you going to listen to today? That is not biblical Christianity. The moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, your old nature was removed, and as we'll see in a moment, your new nature was given. Now, hopefully, almost everyone are you sitting, sitting here this morning thinking, but wait, if my old nature is dead and gone, and if I only have a new nature that is made after the image and likeness of God, then why do I keep on sinning? The answer to that question is found in Romans 7. We do not have time. That is going to have to be another study, but I encourage you to write it down. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through, through really the end of the chapter. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I'll summarize it for you quickly. Paul says, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I don't want to do, I do. Sounds like me, right? <laughs> that sounds like my week. I trusted in Christ. I have these new desires. I want to please Him. I want to live for His honor and glory. So what am I doing over here doing this? What's going on? Why is that? What is this tendency coming from? Even though I'm told from Scripture that sin no longer reigns over me, it very clearly still remains in me. So where is that coming from? Paul says in verses 17 through 18, it comes from sin that dwells within me that is in my flesh. You see, when I trusted in Jesus Christ, I had a new heart. I was redeemed in my soul, but my body wasn't. That's why I still get sick. That's why I'm decaying, and that's why I'm going to die. As a believer, I've got a new nature, one that is pure, that loves and desires to obey God from the heart, but sin still holds a beachhead in my body. As long as I'm living in this unredeemed flesh, sin is a foothold in my life. And that's why Paul cries out in verse 24 of Romans 7, Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this what? Body of death. Not the soul of death, not this old nature of death, but this body of death. Who's going to deliver me from it? What's the answer? Verse 25, Thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we go to ever be with the Lord, as 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, we won't be given a new inside on that day, will we? We're going to be given a new outside. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only one who delivers us. He's already delivered us from that old nature that was in love with and enslaved to sin. And He will yet deliver me from this old body and will free me from sin and temptation forever. Amen. I cannot, I cannot wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So if you've trusted in Christ, right? Your old sinful nature was removed, put off. Why is that good news? Because there's no hope for change if you're enslaved to sin. You can try to turn over a new leaf. You can turn to every psychologist and, a, and psychologist and sociologist and expert and counselor till, from here to the ends of the earth. You will never experience any lasting change if you have an inner nature dominated and enslaved to sin. 
Won't happen. You can change your thinking all you want, but your mind thinks according to your heart. You've got to have your heart changed. So if you've trusted in Christ, your old sinful nature was removed. It was put off. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new has come. Behold, the new has come. We as believers are no longer dominated or in love with sin. We have, as Paul says in Romans 6 later, we have become obedient from the heart to God. We're no longer dominated or in love with sin. Why? Because, as this verse says, and I really need to keep moving, we have received the circumcision of Christ. See, at the moment of salvation, we were made fit for the kingdom and the people of God, not by human, any human priest or doctor or specialist, but by who? By Christ, we were made fit. Christ spiritually circumcised us. He removed our old sinful nature. He released us from sin's dread, dead sway. Believers, we must never forget that we were made fit for the kingdom of God by a spiritual act of divine grace at the hands of Christ, no one else. So when people are looking for spiritual help, when people are looking for spiritual salvation, spiritual freedom, spiritual fulfillment, and they come to you, where will you turn them? (laughs) Why would you in that moment, when they come to you in desperate need, would you give them in that moment your own opinion or the name of any specialist or any human being at the neglect of the one name that they must hear above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the one who can remove from you your old nature. The name of Jesus, He's the one who makes broken souls complete, the one who makes wounded men whole. So Paul says you don't need to be circumcised, you don't need a priest, you don't need ceremonies, you don't need dull philosophical scissors and wisdom of this world to remove the flesh because in Christ your salvation has been fully achieved. Your entire old nature has been cut off. Secondly, verse 12, your new nature has been given. Here Paul moves on from discussing a spiritual circumcision to a spiritual baptism. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we were spiritually baptized into Him. We were immersed into Him. Look at verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. You see, through faith, you came to share in the benefits, not only of Christ's death, Paul is talking about, but also in the benefits of Christ's life. Through faith, we have been raised with Christ. As Romans 6, 4 states, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When Jesus died and he went into the the grave, right? What came out of the grave was something completely different. When you trust in Jesus Christ and you are one with him in his death, then what comes out of that experience of being joined to Christ is something completely different. You walk in a newness of life as he says here. We've been immersed in His righteous and indestructible life. Paul speaks of this saving union of a believer in Ephesians 2, verses 4-6 through with Christ when he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, how? Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
See, if you've trusted Christ, you've been raised to walk in a newness of life, and that righteous life of Christ begins to flow out of you. You have a new nature. Drastic, dramatic. Jesus called it being born again. That's how drastic it is, right? It's so dramatic, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that am living, it's now Christ that's living in me. I mean, Paul's not saying that he wasn't still alive, but what he's saying is, boy, if you knew me before I came to Christ and you know me after, completely different. I'm a brand new Paul because it's no longer I and my old nature living here. It's now Christ and His eternal saving life in me. Christ alone. In other words, Paul is saying, I am unrecognizable. So drastic is the change that's been worked into my life. You want to know how drastic this is? I want you to hold on to the power of Christ's transformation this morning. Because this is not just about us. This is about the world that you and I are living in. How powerful is Christ's transformation when we meet the person in the grocery store? When I'm sitting next to my classmate? When I'm working next to my coworker? What change can Jesus work in their life? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians, my it's up there with one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, those who love anything else more than God, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm in that list. How about you? Verse 11. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I don't know of any program, any specialist, any professor or physician that can do that change. Only Christ alone. Here are all these people who having their eyes opened to the glory of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, abandon everything they ever once knew about themselves, and they say, God, I don't want to add Jesus to my life. I want Jesus to be my life. 
And they are completely transformed and given a new nature so that they say, such were some of you. Talk about a full salvation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is why when Jesus cried out on the cross, He cried out, It is finished. He really meant it. The old is gone. The new has come. You are complete in Christ. Believer, your salvation has been fully achieved. The seed of every change you ever need in your life has already been planted. Only Jesus can accomplish this change. Only Jesus. And so trust in His powerful transformation. That's my application. I'm going to have to pause here today. But as I conclude, I have to ask this question. Is the spiritual reality and transformation I've been talking about this morning true for you? Or are you just coming to church? Trying to look like a morally good person? Have you been born again? Can you say today, right now, where you're sitting, that the old is gone and the new has come? Can you say that by God's grace you've repented of your sins, you have trusted completely in Jesus Christ, and you are experiencing a dramatic change of nature that cannot be explained by just turning over a new leaf? Can you say that your old self that was dominated in love with and given over to sin is gone and that your new self created after the likeness of God and indwelt by the very righteous life of Christ has come? Can you say this morning that you've been born again and have received a full salvation? Are you completing Christ? If you say no, I cannot say that. I encourage you, if you have not, then right now where you're sitting, go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Confess that you are a sinner headed to hell, given to vanity, Believe in what Christ has done to save you from your sins and ask God to forgive you and give you the fullness of salvation that Christ has achieved. Nothing else can transform you. This morning, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Trust in His powerful transformation. But this is the second application that honestly hit me the last two days. Who is Paul talking to? He's not talking to unbelievers, is he? He's talking to believers. And he's reminding you of something, isn't he? He's reminding you of something that Christ did in your life that only Christ could do. And now Satan comes along. And he has all these other ideas of, man, you're really struggling in this area of your life. Why don't you listen to me and follow me and read my books? And i got some great ideas for you. And Paul's saying, what are you doing? Trust in Christ's powerful transformation. Who else can produce this level of change? Only Jesus. It's not found in rules. It's not found in regulations. It's not found in law-giving. But as Paul, that old religious ceremonialist, said, I no longer live the life I live. I live by faith in the Son of God of God. I trust in His powerful transformation to produce the change that's needed in my life. And I'm going to not listen to the things of this world. I'm going to keep my eyes firmly fixed on Jesus and drawing close to Him because I believe that if I come to Christ, He will do the work 
that I cannot do. The Christian life is not you trying to live a better life. The Christian life is you drawing closer to Him who is your new life. And He'll do all the work that's needed. He will transform your heart, your mind, your desires, your thoughts to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Trust in His powerful transformation. We'll have to look at the rest of the ways that we're completing Christ for next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 2, 9-12, which I commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until Christ, who is our head, returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word to us today. Those words... And you are filled in Him. Is literally the truth that we will be unpacking in our understanding and appropriation for the rest of eternity. enjoying and experiencing the fullness that is ours in Christ. But Father, help us not to wait until glory. Help us to find in Christ today all that we need for life and godliness. That we might not listen to the lives of Satan, but instead we might live lives worthy of the Lord as we fall deeper and deeper in love with Him. Do the change, Father, as we devote our lives to Christ above all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.